the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yesterday, we began a look at Job chapter 16. Today, we'll continue that look as Job cries out to God in response to being attacked by a dear friend about his understanding of God. Join us. I think it's safe to say we all will agree that no one has a corner on truth. There's always something new to learn about God, no matter how old we are in our walk with Christ. That said, there are some foundational truths that should direct our lives. Job understands this, and in spite of severe opposition by dear friends, he still finds himself clinging to God and what he knows to be true. Therein lies the hope that we have held out for us here in Job chapter 16, message called Job Cries Out to God. Join us as Pastor Gary Wagner continues our survey of this amazing book. Here's Gary now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Jesus could look at all of his enemies on earth. He could stand boldly before Pilate, boldly before Herod, Those who could have cut off his head in an instant. But when he hung on the cross and he bore our hell, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we learn that is the ultimate misery. And that is really what makes hell, hell. What makes hell, hell is not the flames. It's not the brimstone. All those those things are really... They really exist. But what makes hell, hell, is that there is no hope in God. No hope. And the Lord Jesus took our pain and anguish for us so that we would never take it. And that is our hope. But Job here is in the midst of his grief. He feels that he's being afflicted by the Lord and that no help is coming. It's not even on the way, even though he is crying to the Lord. What are we supposed to do? Well, let me give you a verse to memorize. Psalm 28, verse 7. Psalm 28, verse 7. There are many verses we could look at, but this is one that has been a particular comfort to me. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song will I praise him. Now notice, the Lord is my strength and my shield. But notice particularly this next phrase. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. David does not say, my heart trusted in him, And he changed all of my circumstances, and everything got better. He says, just in trusting in the Lord, I am helped. 
See, faith believes in the help. Faith lays hold of the help even before it comes. Because we know God is faithful to his promises. And he will help me. He is my strength and my shield. So I'm going to rejoice ahead of time that he will not leave me or forsake me. So whatever the cause of the trouble, whatever the source of the trouble, when it comes to us, we have one remedy. It is the same remedy our Lord showed us in the garden on the night when he said, This is the hour of the power of darkness. And he flung himself on the ground. And he called upon the name of the Lord. And he prayed. And since the Lord Jesus walked this path, and he conquered it by his death and resurrection, and now he is risen, and he stands at the head of the path encouraging us to take the same path. Look to him. Trust in God and be helped. God is not our enemy. Sometimes it does seem like he has blocked our way. He's he's somehow hedged us in, given us one affliction after another. You know, we often say things come in threes, but of course, as you know, that's superstition. What we really mean is that God has many arrows in his quiver. And if it's not one, it's two. And if it's not ten, it's twenty. And when the Lord does this, we need to remember we have one remedy, and that is to call out to our Lord. In verse 10, Job goes back to the plural, because he also recognizes that he has many enemies in which apparently he includes his friends, and maybe he does so unfairly. And he basically says here that all of their words are reproaches, And they have literally smitten me on the cheeks, of course, with their words. Now, unless we think of Job too charitably, remember the Lord Jesus graced these words by, too uncharitably, sorry. Remember the Lord Jesus graced these words by saying them himself and about himself when he hung on the cross. We read similar words in Psalm 22 and their fulfillment in the Gospels of John and of Matthew. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see the Lord Jesus and we know this more clearly than Job could have had, that he has borne all of our sufferings. He has borne all of our tears. And his heart is not unfeeling toward us when we go through our difficulties and our sufferings. He has borne all of our sufferings and all of our difficulties. And so he empathizes with us as he sits at the right hand of the Father. But remember, remember, nothing, nothing we go through in this life is ever accidental. Everything we experience in this life has been ordained by God for His own glory and for our good to make us feel our weakness so that we may call upon the Lord. So how do you respond when trouble comes into your life? Do you pray for a day or two, maybe a week or two, a month or two? You know, we shouldn't have to go through another round of trouble before we get the idea that we need to be on our knees crying out to God. 
You know, it's like the 10-year-old who gets a spanking for one thing, and, you know, it works uh, as a reminder to behave for two or three days, and then he's right back at it. Then he needs another reminder, and that lasts, well, maybe this time five days. Then he needs another. Well, you know, as adults, we don't do much better. When the Lord chastens us one time for something serious, or he brings a hardship into our lives, he says, I want you to remember this lesson every single day. I don't want to have to spank you again for this. I will, though, because I love you. But I want you to remember that I've brought this difficulty into your life so that you will turn to me. But you know what? We will never confess this. We will never pray to God fervently unless we really believe that God is the one who has done this. Notice how Job speaks here in verse 11. God has delivered me over to the ungodly. God has done this. If the wicked are doing evil things to me, it is because God has done it through them. They are his sword. They are his hand. Oh, yes, I was at ease. But suddenly God has disturbed my comfortable circumstances. Verse 12. He is taking me by the scruff of the neck and he has broken me to pieces. To pieces he has shaken me and he has set me up as a target. You know, when the Lord does shake us, and when He shakes our families, we need to remember, you know what? I've got all these idols in my tent that I know they are there. And when the Lord shakes me, it feels like I'm going to perish. But the Lord knows how to spare us while He destroys our idols. So we just need to let Him. Oh, it won't feel good. You know, it could be a health problem. It could be our pride. It could be our finances. It could be a number of things. It could even be just an inner vexation of the soul that comes from guilt and that feeling that I have offended and I offended God. And I'm thinking, when is this going to go away? Many people don't get that far in their thinking. You know why? Because they run to the world. They run to games. They run off to Facebook. They run to whatever just to forget and find some other outlet. But we need to remember that God loves us. So he will shake us. He will bring us to repentance. Notice his archers in verse 13. He says, they surround me. Job realizes that God is shooting at him. He's not sparing him. And he says, I have poured out all of my gall on the ground. He is literally throwing up. He can't keep anything down because he's so distressed. Verse 14, he is breaking me breach upon breach. Job says, everything in my life has been torn down and he's stomping on me like a giant. God is stomping on me like a giant or he's impaling me with this huge sword. Please remember that as God sifts us and rids us of our idols through various trials, sometimes it will be very suffocating. It will feel like he's not remembering that I'm down here in the midst of these troubles and I feel like I'm going to die from this or that I 
will never be recovered to the joy. No. No. Our Lord Jesus always knows our weaknesses and our needs. And he will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to bear. But he will break us down. Breach after breach. Idol after idol. Until we cry out to him. He will break us down. Remember. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. But how do we get to that point? You know, we can't drive up to a a local fast food restaurant and get it at their window. It comes from God holding up a mirror in front of us. Certainly, we don't like to look at it. In fact, we like to say, well, I'm repentant. Let's just move on. But the Lord will work on us, and he will sift us. Sometimes it's sudden, like with Job, and sometimes it's over a period of time, and that's the way it probably is for most of us. But the promise is that God will be with us. But if we go to verses 15 and 16, and we would think here, okay, God, Job just feels like you're crushing him, like you're suffocating him. Can't you just leave him alone? At least for a while? Can't you let him alone? Please remember that trusting God's mercy and even confessing our sins does not free us from the fears and the chastisement. Everyone, please listen very closely. We often think, okay, I've done something wrong. I need to ask God to forgive me. And then I can just move on. I've confessed my sins. I've waited a month before I went back to my normal way of living. So, can't we just move on? But what we are really telling God when we think all is good is, Okay, Lord, I've cried a little bit. I've confessed my sins. Now let me have my life return to normal. Which normal to us is life on our terms. But let me encourage you to think of Jonah. Jonah's repentance was at some level already in process when he stood on the deck of the boat in the middle of the storm. And the sailors were fearfully looking around, and so they drew lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And Jonah said, look, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a worshiper of God, and I have run away from him, and that is why all this is happening. Just throw me into the sea. So Jonah has already confessed his sin. Jonah has already said, I deserve to be punished. And of course, with our movie mentality, we think, well, okay then, it's time for redemption, right? All should, all should be good now. God, stop the storm. Now, God did forgive Jonah, but that wasn't enough. If you remember, the sailor said, okay, Jonah, now you're, you're the man. You're the reason God has done this. So in a way, let's just row like crazy and get out of the storm. But the storm didn't go away until they realized, you know what? Jonah has confessed. You know, and I'm sure Jonah is praying and he's confessing his sin, but the storm is still raging. So they finally felt that they had to throw Jonah into the sea anyway. And boom, the storm stopped. 
The point is, even sincere repentance does not necessarily still the storms of our life if God is determined that we need to be chastened. And oftentimes he does. And so Jonah spent three dreadful days and nights in the belly of the fish. The Lord knows that our tears and confessions very often still need to be followed up with purging and chastening that may even last a long time. And in this, He is being toward us a very faithful Father because He knows if we treat Him like a priest in a confessional booth, you know, God, I'm sorry. Can I go outside and play now? God, I'm sorry. I've been sorry for 30 days. Can I get back to my normal life now? He knows if we treat him like this, we are never going to appreciate his son. We are never going to appreciate the price that was paid in order for us to be forgiven Christ's precious blood. We are never going to hate sin. We are never going to fear the Lord. God's goal in chastening us and in sifting us is a lot more than getting back to normal. In fact, that is not His goal at all. He chastens us so that life will never be normal again. So that we will be humbled before Him and seek Him even more than we did before the trial or the trouble. Or if you want to see it in print, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And you'll see what one of the goals of his chastening and sifting is. We'll turn to 2 Corinthians 7, 9. And remember, Paul has written a hard letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians. And then 2 Corinthians is his response to their declaration of repentance. And he says there in verse 9, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, that you might not suffer loss in anything for us. Now, here is how you can know if you have repented over your sins in your life. If you are truly seeking repentance. For godly sorrow produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, this very thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. Are you ready? This is how you know if your tears were not just those old crocodile tears, but they were tears of true repentance. What carefulness it wrought in you. Careful to never go that way again. Never. Then Paul says, what clearing of yourself? In other words, I don't want self-justification. I'm truly done with this thing. I have forsaken it. He says, what indignation. I loathe myself that I have sinned against God like I did. What fear. A fear of displeasing God. Fear of falling into that sin again. He says what vehement desire, desire for righteousness, for holiness, for walking with God more closely. What zeal, he says, zeal for God, real zeal for holiness. And then he says, yea, what avenging of wrong. Wow. 
That's tough. He's talking about self-revenge. You know, there's a sense in which a Christian, when, when you see what you have done to God by your sins, you don't walk around patting yourself on the back and saying, I'm great, look at me, I'm repenting of my sins. No, it's like the prophet Ezekiel said, you are going to loathe yourself when you remember your sins. Now, I I realize there are no sermons probably preached today on how to loathe yourself in three easy steps. And we don't want to hear that kind of thing. But that's merely because there was too much preaching of men looking at men. Men being highly esteemed instead of us all looking at our holy God and remembering that the goal of his discipline in our lives is to humble us, that we may be made partakers of his holiness, that we may never go back to those sins again. Men, if you have come to a conviction of lust in your life or various other things, the way you can know you have repented of it is when you close all the windows and you close all the doors to that sin and you lock and you throw away the key and you don't go back. And the same thing is true of our sins of worry, our sins of discontent, and any sins of addictions to make us feel good, or even the sins of pride or adulation. And remember, real repentance is Godward. It doesn't say, well, what do I have to do to make my pastor happy with me again? It is, what do I have to do to be right with God? Because the only opinion that matters, it's not my parents, and it's not my preacher, and it's not my friends, and it's not my spouse. It's not really even the people that I have sinned against. It is God. He is the one with whom I have to deal. And we see the Lord dealing with Job in this way here. He is repentant. He's a broken man. He worshiped the Lord when everything was taken away from him, and his heart is breaking. Lord, can't you just leave him alone? Lord, why not help him? Now, we know what was going on behind the scenes with the devil and God. I won't get into any of that now. But the Lord is also dealing with Job as his child and as his servant. And Job, as as the godly man as he was, he, he needed to see God's majesty more. He needed to see more of his own lowliness and of his own filth. And that his wisdom was nothing but dust in comparison to God's. And his sufferings taught him this. Notice there in verse 15, he was covered in sackcloth. And then it says, he defiled my horn, which in the King James Version means that everything that was on high, that was high and mighty about him before, is now simply dust. He says, my face is red from weeping. My eyes have the look of death. You see, Job is saying here, I've been completely overthrown by the Lord. Completely. And I'm sure I deserve it. Now, we would never say, Lord, would you please treat me like this this week? It would just be so great. Of course, we don't think like that. It would be foolish. But if we are his children, we can expect nights of weeping 
We can expect certain times of testing and shifting, be, sifting because the Lord will break us down that we may be humbled before Him and be joyful in Him and desire to obey Him more fervently. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. .org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless.